Welcome to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We are the retro talk program for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff right here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Gilbert Smitty-Smith welcoming you to this program, which is part two of our 2016 live broadcast from the San Diego County Fair at Del Mar, California. Today's program, along with our previous episode, aired live on KOPA Res Radio 91.3 FM in Paula, California, on June 30th, 2016. On today's show, we continue our look back to the Beach Boys' 50th anniversary, and we also remember the years 1966 and 1976. And, of course, we have some great tunes to share with you as well. Mike and I were once again joined by our good friend John Fox of Res Radio. And now, without any further delay, let's get to this episode of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. Hey, welcome back to Res Radio. It's Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight live here in Del Mar, California. We are live at the San Diego County Fair, and we're going to play some Beach Boys songs in a while, but my favorite song is God Only Knows by the Beach Boys, and God Only Knows what this fair would be like without the Australian battered potatoes. And we've got Carmel here. She's our battered potato aficionado and she's got us all hooked on these actually we did we wouldn't come here to do the show if it wasn't for these potatoes and we've got a plate of them how you doing kiddo good to see you back i'm doing really well and we always look forward to having you next to us you know what we always look forward to having you next to us (laughs) it's a symbiotic relationship for sure (laughs) it works out it's just one of those things that's just magic try to explain it and you can it's better off not trying but How's the potato sales going this year? The potato sales are doing really well, as is the fair, and it's a really great fair to be at. We, we love being in Delmar. Well, you guys are weatherproof. You know, the hot stuff on the hot days doesn't sell as well. Your stuff sells no matter what. Day or night, hot, it could be 103 degrees, and you've still got a line out to get those battered, lovely delicacies. They may be batter fried, but you got the cool ranch dressing to put on it, so it's perfect. That's right. No matter what the weather's like. What's the biggest... Now, do they like the ranch dressing? It's Southern California, and we're a nostalgia show, Carl. So I'm going to ask you something, and just don't hit me, because these headphones hurt when I get smacked. Okay. Do people ask you if you have ketchup for these? They ask me if we have <laughs> ranch. <laughs> ranch, okay. Yeah, so that's ketchup. that's most important. What, what's the most popular topping for yours? For your Actually, potatoes? the most popular topping is um, ranch, cheese, and bacon. Okay. And my um, favorite is sweet chili and sour cream, which is how we would have them in Australia. Okay, so that's an Australian yeah, taste. Yeah, the sweet chili and sour cream, which okay, is Okay, so really the ranch, good. bacon, and cheese, is that a Southern California thing, or is that all United States? Well, it was always that? ranch and cheese, and then when bacon was kind of the hot thing going, I added bacon to my potatoes, and the, the bacon the bacon and cheese is really good. Yeah. Really good. Well, the potatoes are great. What's your secret, anyway? Is there a secret? such light fried Okay, you stuff. know what my secret is? Cleanliness <laughs> and quality. Yeah. As in the stand and in as, and is also in my um, my employees. Yeah, change out the oil yeah, and just yeah, uh, yeah. top quality ingredients. Yeah, and top quality employees as well yeah. that care. Yeah. So Carmel, how many uh, years have you been uh, participating here at the fair, at the um, San Diego County Fair? Uh, this is my 29th year. 29th. So um, wow. I've been very, very privileged to be part of the fair for 29 years. And I started out um, selling meat pies, and um, that was a loser. 
and um, then I Why? added the potatoes. It actually sounds uh, good to me. Well, meat pies are very popular in Australia, but but not over here. People yeah. didn't know what they were. But um, the, but the potato is, business is just How is that different growing. from like a pot, like what we call a pot um, pie? Well, for us in Australia, having a meat pie is like you would have a hot dog. It's like a, a stable snack, and our pies are really good. Like I love meat pies, but my meat pies were a frozen meat pie and not the quality that I would want to, you know, want to sell. And what exactly are the ingredients in a meat pie? In a meat pie, it's um, beef and gravy and. Um, Ground beef or shredded or what? It's it can either or either okay. or. But if I was going to the fair in Australia, that I would always have a meat pie every night. I have a meat pie, yeah. meat pie and tomato sauce, which is ketchup. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm a real Aussie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love your what's, accent. What's the deal about the Vegemite sandwich? Men at work did a song. Vegemite. Yeah. Vegemite. Vegemite. Is that is that something? What is Vegemite? What what is Vegemite? Share that secret. Do you put Vegemite <laughs> on the battered potatoes? I, Ever? I actually was thinking about it just for the heck of it. But anyway, the Vegemite is as black as, as your shirt, yeah. and it's a, um, a yeast extract. And it's um, some people taste it, and they say it tastes like tar. But oh. we're brought up on it like you are with peanut butter. But you just need, like, a tiny spread. And I love Vegemite on, like, a fresh bread roll yeah. or just on toast, but just, you know, toast and butter. But you, just, but you only need a tiny bit because so you it's use really... It, you use it sort of like butter, almost like a condiment? No, 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 not like butter, but you would only have, like, a tiny bit, yeah. you know. No, you just have butter and then Vegemite, just a tiny bit of Vegemite. If you put a bit, a lot on it, like you would with peanut butter, you'll die. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> it really does taste like yeah. tar. Yeah, it not. does, yeah. It's so a big the- question. Brian Wilson, <laughs> founding father and, and the brilliant mastermind behind the Pet Sounds album, is going to be in concert tonight. You're an Australian, you're an Australian girl. Were you a Beach Boys fan in the 60s? Yes, yes. Tell us about how the Beach Boys affected Australian pop music. Were they big? I, you guys all surf over there yes. and do body surfing. What was the Beach Boys thing? Are you going to the concert tonight? Uh, no, I'm not, but the Beach Boys was huge in Australia. That's where the Beatles, but, yeah, of course, the Beach Boys. Everyone loves the Beach Boys. Everyone still loves the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Now, in Australia in the summertime, you've got – is the weather pretty similar to how it is in Del Mar in the summer, or do you have reverse seasons in December? Um, no, it's pretty pretty similar, pretty similar to San Diego, but um, this summer we had some pretty extreme heat. But we, but the thing is, we also get a lot more rain than what you guys do. I mean, we get we get the rain to deal with, and that's why we're really spoiled um, being a um, an exhibitor at the, the San Diego County Fair or any fair in California is because um, we don't have to deal with the weather issues that you do at other fairs and also in Australia. Now there are other fairs throughout Southern California and Northern California during the year. I understand you come out half a year from Australia, then go back home, or what do you what what do you do? Do you just come? Do you just bend at this at this particular fair, or do you, is there a circuit? No, I actually started in February in Australia, where I sell cheese on a stick, hot dog on a stick, and fresh lemonade, and I have seven lemonade carts and three food stands. Um, I hire a hundred employees, so that's kind of my big big event before I come here. Here I just have my one little stand and um, we sell potatoes, go to Orange County and then I go to the Minnesota State Fair. Then I go back and we're actually work, we work year round on our event. Like even now we're kind of planning on what we're going to do for next year, changing our stands or improvements or whatever. And, you know, we work year round on our equipment in Australia. So it's an ongoing thing. It's not like you're just coming to the fair and working for three months. It's it's really year round. But compared to that industry you've got going in Australia, this is like a vacation for you, right? Just the um, one stand. Well, 
No, the reason being <laughs> is that my stand here is very labour intensive. Oh. I mean, to sell a hot dog and a cheese is just yeah. a lot easier than, you know, I mean, our cleaning at the end of the night is huge and we need like three times the staff than we would need with the, the gross money that we make, but mm-hmm. not complaining. It, it's all good. It's all, it's, all, it's all good. <laughs> You've got a unique product here. Thank you. And people Thank really you. love it. Yeah. I think and it's truly brilliant, Carmel, because, number one, you, you get the vegans. Yes. Okay? The meat-free people will come up here. The fast food people will come up here. The kids love this stuff. Anybody that's ever had a French fry experience needs to experience what you've got here. And it's fast, and it, it, you've got a very simple menu. And I think th- that's the success. I, I really admire you for your entrepreneurship. But it's just, it, it's almost like our calendar begins every year when we when we start at the show here with uh, Res Radio. And it's always comforting to see you over next to that's us. That's right. <laughs> when it comes to exhibits and county fairs, you're like you're like the wingman, your little booth over here. And it's a, always so nice to see you over there with your smile and the people coming in. There's people. There's certain. You know, there's people that come here for different kind. I know a guy that comes here just for the turkey legs. Yeah. But everybody I ever talked to, or the artichoke sandwich. Yeah. Put some Vegemite on that. Vegemite. Yeah. <laughs> I just, oh, hold on, i got to drink something sweet and kill that thought. But, you know, it's just everybody who ever experiences a San Diego County Fair always talks about the Aussie battered potatoes. So it's word of mouth. You've nailed every component of a true entrepreneur. Big question, though, you ever going to go commercial with these? Are, are we ever going to see these in the frozen shelf at Vons or Stater Brothers? <laughs> Please say no, but it's okay. What do you think? I mean, have you had calls from the big boys? No, but I actually, that was always my dream to do that. And um, about five years ago, I, I did find, um, I did I did do a roadshow at Costco, but the quality of the product was like, was not good. And so it didn't work out and I was not going to risk my house. But you know what? Always in the back of my mind, it's like, I know this would be, this would be good. See, this one makes you the perfect fair food, though. It's so difficult to duplicate it, anything but from scratch. Uh, absolutely. That's it. And, it. and it's delicious. The Australian battered potatoes are delicious. If any of you folks are listening and are going to come to the fair, you've got to try them. You folks that are uh, in other parts of the country and other parts of the world, well, if you're in Australia, you can get them down there. But uh, do you have any kind of an online presence, Carmel? Do you have a website? Do you have anything uh, where people can at least look at a picture of your delicious Australian battered potatoes? Um, I would love to say I have a great website. Um, The only great thing about my website at the moment is the correct dates. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's just say it's forthcoming then. Forthcoming, yes. And yes. It's something that I need to work at that we just haven't. We haven't done that. Oh, wonderful. It's, it, it, is, it is truly delicious, and, we, and we're so happy that you're here next to us. As Mike said, you're, you're, it's, a, it, it's a comfort to see you here every year. Thank you. And uh, we sure thank you for coming over and chatting with us. And, uh, and feeding again. us. And feeding oh, us, exactly. Carmel, you're thank such you. a doll. You take Carmel. care of us. And, and you're our, you're, Susan Fox is galaxy good gal number one. You're galaxy good gal number two. <laughs> and she's yeah. at home just eating her heart out right now, wishing she had some bad oh, Well, I, I, I had her maple donut for her, and I'm going to have her Aussie battered potato. But That's Carmel, right. thanks for coming over. I know you're awfully busy over there. We'll let you get back. But, hey, folks, the ones walking around on, on their smartphones listening to Res Radio on iHeart, Get over here and check out what we've been talking about. You will never be the same. Okay? Thanks, sweetheart. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carmel. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we're going to break here. It's Res Radio, Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight, live in San Diego at the San Diego County Fair here in Del Mar. We'll come right back, and we'll talk all about what's going on tonight. Happy birthdays, Pet Sounds, 50th for the Beach Boys. We'll be right back.
love you But long as there are stars above you You never need to doubt it I'll make you so sure about it God only knows what I'd be without you If you should ever leave me Oh, life would still go on, believe me The world could show nothing to me So what good would living do me? God only knows what I'd be without you Radio 91.3 out here live at the San Diego County Fair 2016 with Mike and Smitty, the Galaxy Gang. And we're talking about the year 1946 in our first hour. Now we're going to move forward 20 years to the middle of the baby boomer generation, 1966. And that was the year of Pet Sounds. Mike. Well, that was a big year. Big year anyway in pop music. We're talking, talking about, of course, tonight's concert, Brian Wilson. Will be live in concert here in San Diego at San Diego County Fair, but uh, better yet, he's going to be doing some stuff. It is the 50th anniversary of that of that sound known as Pet Sounds, that album that took so long for them to produce, mainly because of the genius of Brian Wilson. This man, as, as a songwriter and as a musical artist, as a creative guy, he's reinvented himself at least a dozen times over over the period of the 55, 60 years he's been in the business. 55 years easily. But he's going to be here tonight in concert. John, what are your what are your thoughts on the Beach Boys in general, uh, Brian Wilson in particular? Okay, well, first off, I was a Beatles fan, so oh, I no. appreciated the Beach Boys. I wasn't as totally into them as some people, and even though I did surf a little bit in my early days, you know, I wasn't really totally into the beach culture. I grew up inland a little bit and didn't spend all my time at the beach. Appreciated it. They were a big part of Boss Radio KHJ, which I listened to every once in a while up in Fallbrook growing up. And uh, for that reason, you know, I had had to love them. And I got to admit that by '66, when Pet Sounds came out and uh, the whole Good Vibrations and God Only Knows and those things, you know, God Only Knows, 
of all people, Paul McCartney, who, like I said, I was a Beatles fan, Paul McCartney says, God Only Knows is the best song ever written. He did. He actually said that. They can't deny it. He said it, and uh, the Beach Boys were the Beatles' favorite band. And there was this uh, kind of back and forth between them at the time. You know, um, Brian says that he was influenced by Rubber Soul. That's what kind of led him in the direction of Pet Sounds. He came up with a lot of innovations on his own. But the whole, you know, maturing of the Beatles was was something that kind of pushed Brian that way with the Beach Boys as well. And, you know, they, they had to change over the years. They couldn't just be the pop, you know, surf and sand and girls type band, which, which in their own way the Beatles kind of were in England. And so he says that uh, Rubber Soul influenced him towards Pet Sounds. And then Paul in response, says that Pet Sounds influenced the Beatles to some extent and inspired them somewhat for Sgt. Pepper the following year in 1967. Well, it was such an interesting year, such a turning point in music in general. You had you had groups, you had a change in the genres of music. It was, it was the time of the Vietnam War, it was just getting really going, and you had, you know, number one on the chart list for weeks and weeks and weeks was a, a song that really wasn't quite a song, but it was a song. It was called The Ballad of the Green Berets by Sergeant Barry Sadler. And you had that lined up with the traditional American pop music groups, the association, who was more of a traditional sound with with uh, a cherished harmonies. harmonies. And uh, you had the Righteous Brothers, which was the start of Blue-Eyed Soul from Orange County, California, with... Uh, you're my soul and inspiration. Phil Spector was at his heyday in 66. You had the girl groups. And Phil Spector, by the way, here's a little sideline okay. uh, uh, to Pet Sounds. Phil Spector was a huge influence in the way that Brian produced Pet Sounds. That wall of sound from Phil Spector is, is very much present in the Pet Sounds album. And it's also suggested that one of the reasons they ended up calling it Pet Sounds was for the initials P.S. Phil Spector. Amazing, uh, yeah. I, I gathered that much because I've watched about every documentary on Brian Wilson that's been out there, up to and including, which I wasn't too impressed with, the Love and Mercy movie that was just released out on Netflix and Amazon with John Cusack playing the and Paul Dano playing the parts of Brian Wilson. I didn't get it. It was highly rated by the Chicago Tribune and the L.A. Times. But having grown up in Southern California, actually having interviewed Al Jardine one time at, after the Hollywood Bowl, uh, Knowing the guys, it would be hard to imitate some of these folks. But you think about the influence Phil Spector had on so many people, but you move fast forward, and the influence Brian Wilson has had on so many of the artists of today, think about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've got the uh, yeah, five-man so. electrical band coming through here, folks. If you hear something, <laughs> yeah. not, not quite the five-man electrical band, but yeah, they sound great. The sidewalk but stompers are about to do The sidewalk stompers are about ready to do their thing. So, so we will try to... Uh, be heard over their music, but yep. uh, anyway, Mike, keep going. But you know, it, it is the 50th anniversary of Pet Sounds, and it was such an incredible piece of work. It was artful music instead of musical art. Yeah. And you know, it was very introspective, and it was, again, not just the cars and girls and the beach and surfing and all that stuff. So, you know, from that standpoint, it was a maturing of the Beach Boys. Um, didn't do extremely well commercially. It's been hailed as one of the greatest albums of all time by critics, and I think been appreciated far more in later years. Possibly ahead of its time, but you know, if it influenced Sgt. Pepper, no, it was of its time. It, it was a logical progression of pop music in the mid-60s. Well, it shines actually to this day as one of the most in, in 
the way that the genius of Brian Wilson put this together. Uh, could you think of anyone ever before that had a French horn in an arrangement of American rock and roll? Oh, look at the list of studio Accordion. musicians that played on Pet Sounds. There are over 50 musicians involved in Pet Sounds. So, yeah, it's really different. And the method of recording is, uh, for those that are, that are into the technology of it, uh, Brian was one of the first to really take advantage of multi-tracking. He multi-track, yeah, overdub. He did this on uh, eight-track machines and four-track machines. They would do the mix-down, basically, um, of all these individual instruments. They'd get the instrumentation all on one track, put that on one track of an eight-track machine, which were very high-tech and, and new at the time. And when I say eight-track, I'm not talking about the cartridges that you plug into your dash. We're talking about a reel-to-reel um, that has that records on eight tracks. First there was monaural, then there came stereo two-track, then there came quarter-track, where you could have a pair of stereo tracks in each direction. But you can also use that as a four-track machine. Then finally came eight-track, and that's what Brian was using to master pet sounds. They would master all the music on four-track machines, then put that onto individual track of the eight-track machine. Then each of the Beach Boys individual vocals would go on separate tracks for the final mix down. Well, I watched that documentary several times on the Wrecking Crew, which was actually Phil Spector's studio band, and they these were uh, musicians that would come and go, but uh, Hal Blaine was a guitarist on that, and they talked about the intricacy, the note structure that no one had ever heard of before and would argue that it could never work, but Brian Wilson would come in and actually make it work. I forgot the actual notes, but combine a French horn with an old old world Italian accordion player and a banjo player and a flute player and put this together into music. I, to this day, I can't think of anyone who could mix the way uh, Brian Wilson and, and Phil Spector could mix in their songs. You have Wall of Sound and then you have uh, sea, sea of Tunes, which was, the, which was the Beach Boys version. But every one of those, and that was at a point in 66 where music was changing anyway. You didn't have, you didn't have uh, the boogie-woogie beats. You had guys actually bringing art into the studios and creating things. And I think that's why... It wasn't album, about a dance beat anymore. Yeah. Meter didn't matter so much. Yeah. You could change things up all the time. You could have essentially an entire concerto, an entire symphony, all within four or five minutes. I mean, and the, and the money and the time, and I, I watched in the narrative the documentary where the Beach Boys were so sick of going into the studio to have Brian Wilson spend two hours perfecting one note. But look at those perfect notes, you know. Dun, 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 you know, and the structure, the, the instruments it took to make that sound really very creative and very unique. You know, that's where people who don't think much of pet sounds miss out. It's very subtle, but there's so many little subtle things and innovations that make that sound really revolutionary. Well, hopefully we're going to hear some of that tonight. Uh, you got any got any uh, inside info on what's going to come about tonight with the Brian Wilson concert? I haven't been I following the tour, so the I don't know exactly. The Beach Boys aren't here. They're yeah. touring somewhere else. I haven't followed the tour, so I don't know exactly okay. what the playlist is going to be, but yeah, it'll be interesting. You are mentioning the Wrecking Crew. You know, a couple of the guys from the Wrecking Crew were from San Diego. Um, Paul Tanner, who was the trombone player. Right. There was a song done for Pet Sounds called Trombone Dixie. Didn't make the cut, or didn't make the album. Yeah. But the song was Trombone Dixie. That was him. He's also the guy that played the theremin on Good Vibrations. Oh, wow. 
So that's Paul Tanner from San Diego. And Good Vibrations, you know, was originally planned to be part of Pet Sounds. Yeah. It was recorded about the same time. Right. They were still putting, you know, his perfectionist finishing touches on it, like in February of 66. And the thought was that he still wanted to work on it some more and that it would be part of the Smile album instead. Yeah. They were going to hold on to it. Smile, of course, never happened, and therefore Good Vibrations got ended up being released as a single, not part of any album originally. Um, but, and then also, uh, what was the guitarist you mentioned from the Wrecking Crew? Blaine. Okay. Barney Kessel was another one of right. the guitarists, and he was from San Diego as well. So a couple of the Wrecking Crew guys. And Carol Kane was the bassist. Carol, mm-hmm. I believe Carol Kane, too, is interesting. She was on, it's amazing how many songs that Wrecking Crew actually did in studio for groups. And it, it wasn't until maybe the Eagles came along, Crosby, Seals, and Nash, that they would come in and not use a studio orchestra to put their albums together. So with the Wrecking Crew, with Phil Spector and, of course, Brian Wilson, you had the sound that, that, could, not be, that could not be duplicated on stage at a live concert. You know, the Beatles, by late 1966, were done touring. They were done with their concert work. They were in studio. It's a and lot of work. I don't know if it was a chicken and egg kind of thing, but with yeah. the Beatles as well, they ended up doing things that you couldn't perform live anyway. Absolutely. Whether that was because they no longer were touring and didn't need to, or the other way around. Yeah, who's to say? Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, Lennon McCartney with uh, Sgt. Pepper's, which was, I believe that was another 1966 Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. That was just a studio creation. And how, how on earth would anybody ever be, the Beatles, how, how would they ever be able to go out and perform that? Yeah. When you look um, at the different songs on those, on that, on those uh, albums. Got to give props to Glenn Campbell as well. He was uh, one of the studio musicians, one of the 50 or so involved in Pet Sounds as well. Yeah, Glenn Campbell and, and several other notables. Uh, further on as the Beach Boys. And the, the Beach Boys are uh, they're evergreens. Uh, every year they're out on tour somewhere. I'm, I have Mike Love on my Facebook page, and watching the places they go, they still, you know, a lot of the members change, but you still have Mike Love and Al Jardine. Dennis Wilson, of course, passed away, oh, probably almost thir- well over 30 years ago, and then, unfortunately, in the 90s, Carl Wilson passed away. So Brian, Brian's the only living brother. Brian remains as the, the living Wilson. But he's still at it. And say what you will about his past and the problems he went through and, and the various drama. But to me, he's an artist. And my particular song of all time would be Wouldn't It Be Nice, which was the B-side of God Only Knows. Right. And that was another song that they didn't expect to release. But you think of the intricacies involved with Wouldn't It Be Nice and the storyline about young love, a guy in love with his girlfriend. And wouldn't it be nice if you know we could go home together and be married and and that was the kind of music that really meant in the mid-60s something happened at the end of 66 and into 67 music changed it became revolutionary it became drug influenced it became counterculture influenced we can talk about that but just the lineup pet sounds was pretty drug influenced oh yeah and brian is uh uh, very honest and unapologetic about it he says that drugs fueled his creativity insists that he managed them quite well you know to the point where he wasn't falling down but he insists that uh, you know drugs expanded his mind and expanded his creativity and allowed him to do what he did in the studios in the mid 60s big time and and as you uh brian's a lot older than our 46 babies that we talked about i think he's uh i think he's got four years five years over on the 70 year olds but 
he's I think Carl was the youngest, wasn't he? I'm so was, what? Was Carl younger than Dennis? Of the Wilson brothers, Carl. What? Was Carl younger? Than Carl was the younger brother. Yeah. He was the youngest. Yeah, Carl was the youngest, and Dennis was, well, actually, Dennis was the youngest. Carl was the middle, I believe. Okay. And Brian was the eldest. And then the, uh, just the, the new album, I'm sure Brian's going to do a lot of the songs or a lot of the stuff from the mid-60s, but... People don't come to hear the new stuff in concerts. They come to hear the old stuff. It don't matter. It don't matter if it's Cheap Trick. It doesn't matter if it's ELO, or in this case tonight, Brian Wilson doing the 50th salute. You come to remember those memories, which is what our show's about here at Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside and Res Radio. It's about the the feelings and the mood and what you were doing the summer of '66, living in Southern California. Earlier in the show, we had Floyd from the Midwest, from Indiana. Floyd. Floyd the Barber. Floyd is still gone. Uh, Andy. But uh, just people, we can ask anybody over here, over the age of 55, and pretty much the music is going to bring us all together, whether you're 65, 70, 55, 52. I don't know which one of you two guys are the youngest, Smitty or John, but we can talk about the Beach Boys. At the same time, we can talk about John Mayer. And have something in common. And music is always the thread that brings it. It's the stitch that brings the wardrobe together. And they were one of talk. the earliest rock concerts I went to. I think. Yeah, tell us about that one. Or seventy-two yeah. at the San Diego Sports Arena would be one of the first concerts. You were at that one. And it was Beach Boys. Yeah, I didn't catch that one. I caught the Beach Boys at Dodger Stadium. And the original Beach Boys. And there's been well, Bruce Johnson, I believe, is touring, and he was to me one of the original Beach Boys, but. It'd probably be interesting tonight if you um, if you think about it with Brian Wilson coming up on stage and uh, all you Galaxy good guys and good gals that are listening in or hearing this show, come into the Facebook page, Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside, search us out and tell us what your memories are about the mid-60s, 66, 67 and the music and especially the Beach Boys. That's right. And, are these uh, guys about done, John? <laughs> I think it'll be a little while, At but at least they could have played some Beach Boy music. Yeah, they could have yeah. done that. The four major songs from Pet Sounds that everybody knows: God Only Knows, Sloop John B, Wouldn't It Be Nice, and Caroline No. I think a lot of people know Caroline No. At least it was not a big hit, but no, very pretty song. But you know, the one that I think would be really interesting if he plays tonight, because I think it's the most telling thing about Brian at okay. the time, was I just wasn't made for these times. Yeah. That would be, it would be interesting to see if he plays that one tonight. Sure. Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, even going back to the meaning of those songs, those songs, those songs translate nowadays. I just wasn't made for these times. I mean, that was probably his own autobiography title. Because sometimes I wonder if I was made for these times. But you think of the songs that were out in '66, John, the turning point of American pop music. And some of this stuff wasn't allowed to be on the air on some stations in Top 40. Uh, Painted Black by Rolling Stones. It was it was forbidden to be played in a lot of the southern uh, top forty stations. They wouldn't play it simply because it had black in the title. It had the word black in it. Painted black, yeah. and you go and wild thing about the Trogs. It was about a, a rather loose female young lady who made his heart sing, probably. But uh, so, so, songs were on the cutting edge, and there's uh, today American music. These songs, these lyrics would be so tame. Compared to today, we go down and, and we talk about uh, Sunshine Superman was about LSD. The whole beauty of writing a song is to be suggestive without actually being blatant. You know, that's, yeah, where, yeah, that's, that's where rap music Provoke a thought. Made. Yeah. 
It's storytelling, musical storytelling. And what is it exactly about Dirty Water by the Spandells that got it banned from radio? Well, wait, you go down, you go down a few lists of mid-60s songs that today probably wouldn't even get on the chart because they'd be so tame. Dirty Water by the Standells. We talked about the Standells last year. The garage bands, the rough, the bad boy sound. Uh, the Rolling Stones' 19th Nervous Breakdown was about prescription medication. Yeah, Mother's Little Helper. Yeah, Mother's Little Helper, 19 Nervous Breakdown. Psychotic uh, Reaction. Psychotic Reaction. Uh, rainy Day Women. That, I don't know what the deal was on that, but Bob Dylan was upset because a lot of American Top 40 stations would not play Rainy Day Women, number one, because it was too long, but number two, it suggested a certain type of woman. And what a rainy day woman is, I'm sure there's somebody maybe in Roanoke, Virginia, who can tell me what rainy day meant that would keep it off Top 40 radio. But this was a time in the 60s. Things were changing. Dress styles were changing. Um, Politics was changing. And, of course, music, to me... Is a starting point for social change. Is usually you can you can see it in the music. You, you, you know what I mean about that, John? You can hear about music, and uh, you'll hear music in the '60s and '70s, and you could tell it was an indictment of the times. It was almost like reportage. And of course, a lot of the Crosby, Stills, and Nash, well, Ohio, or Chicago, Buffalo, Woodstock, Springfield, something going on around yeah. here. But it is ain't exactly clear. Well, yeah, there's a man with a gun over there telling me I gotta, I gotta beware. beware. Yeah, big time. But you had the love songs, the goopy ballads mixed in with Steppenwolf on the way in the next year, '67. What a crazy time in American music. But I guess when you mention crazy time in American music, you got to mention Brian Wilson. He's going to be here tonight, folks. If you haven't bought your tickets, can people come up and get a drawing for a ticket tonight? You know what? Between four and six p.m. this afternoon, as we uh, continue our broadcast here live after the Galaxy Moonbeam show. We do have some reserved seats for Brian Wilson, so stop by the Res Radio booth and uh, we'll see if we can't fix you up with that. Leading up to Wolfman Jack at 6. Uh, one more story about Pet Sounds having to do with the photo shoot for oh, the so album okay. art. Now, album art was becoming a very important part of music in the 60s. You're determined to get that beat to sting yes, you, aren't you? <laughs> uh, the photo for the cover of Pet Sounds was taken at the San Diego Zoo. Wow. At, at the Children's Zoo. Now, the Beach Boys and, of course, their record label, Capital, are based up in Los Angeles. Why come to San Diego? L.A.'s got a perfectly good zoo. But for some reason, they decided they needed to do that here. And they had to talk the zoo into letting them do it. They didn't really want them here. You know, long hair hippies. Yeah. And uh, they had to convince them, well, you know, animals are a really big thing with teenagers these days. It would be good for your image. And, you know, the, the Beach Boys are wholesome. And forget about the fact that Brian's, you know, doing all kinds of drugs to help his creativity. Sure, and creating pet, pet sounds, but But pet sounds, that was a term given by Mike Love. And when Brian would get in the know, studio, originally, those are his pet sounds. Again. Work, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's how the album became uh, named. Because originally the working title was Our Freaky Friends. Our freaky friends, okay. Our furry critters. A new album by the Beach Boys. But Pet Sounds obviously referred to things that the Beach Boys liked. Their favorite. favorite. Yeah. Their Their, memories. Their their pet things, like Mm -hmm. their their pet food. And Al Jardine always always complained about how uh, the marketing department at Capitol obviously paid no attention whatsoever, hadn't listened to the album. Oh, yeah, we better get some pictures of animals. It's Pet Sounds. And they put them to goats. (laughs) 
Yeah. And the Beach Boys hated those goats. I, you know? yeah. The goats were from the children's zoo, so they were used to being handled and messed with. And oh. then the Beach Boys said so they were really aggressive, yeah. jumping all over us. So they didn't like that Well, you at could all. see the gang. The boys they also all resented dirty coming all the way to San Diego. To get some from, pictures. Yeah, when L.A. had a perfectly good zoo. Bruce Johnson said it was an awful experience. His photo never even made it onto the album, oh, so wow. there was no reason for him to even come. It was a contractual situation. I don't even sure. know what that was about, but he wasn't allowed to be photographed for the album, or at least he wasn't. they weren't allowed to use his photos. Al said it was obviously our department at Capitol had never even listened to the album. has nothing to do with animals. No, these guys are bean counters. <laughs> they didn't care. And according to the San Diego Union, in February of 1966, when the photo shoot happened, the Beach Boys were no prize on photo shoot day either. Uh, the paper blasted them for behavior at the photo shoot, accusing them of being abusive towards the animals. Oh, you know, gee. Nobody was very happy about that whole little photo shoot. And if you look at the pictures on the album and from the rest of the shoot, the boys are not exactly their happiest. Oh, they're smirking. They're, Jardine's actually smirking. He's actually, if they put a cartoon balloon over him, he'd be saying a very bad word to the little, the little billy goat there. And the superintendent, at his knees. the superintendent of the zoo, who, by the way, was an ex-Marine. Oh, so he, no, he even worse. Along with a bunch of long hairs. Uh, he said the Beach Boys would not be welcome back at the San Diego wow. Zoo. And Brian, for one, has never returned. How about that? Well, they couldn't wait to get back on the get back on the five and get back home to, to comfortable Hawthorne, California. I guess they had moved from Hawthorne by that time. But, you know, we're going to... We did a medley earlier in the show. We're going to go back out at the break here. But uh, just a little medley of things starting out with uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice, my favorite song of all time. But just the difference in music. Uh, John's going to put on a little medley here. We're going to go and we're going to bring back Smitty because uh, we're going to talk about, we've talked about 46. We're talking about 1966. We're going to disco down into the year 1976. So don't go away. We're going to take a break here. Uh, we're Res Radio live at the San Diego County Fair, particularly if you're listening to Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight with Smitty, myself, Mike B., and John Fox, and we'll be right back. Thank you. Enjoy Hits of 1966 on Res Radio 91.3 from the fair. Well, I 
my train and I must go I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Come on, homie. 
San Diego County Fair here in Del Mar, California, Res Radio. It's Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. I'm Mike B., and we're here live at the fair. Everybody's getting their afternoon at the fair on, and we're talking all about the baby boomer years. We started out earlier in the two-hour show with 1946, the first year of the baby boomers. Moved on to 1966, which was our last segment, talking about tonight's concert with Brian Wilson and the 50th anniversary of Pet Sounds. We're going to fast-forward up 10 years to the year 1976 and my good chum smitty gilbert smitty smith is going to talk about the disco years the bicentennial and all kinds of things smitty what do you recall about 1976 1976 what a what a what a historic year but you know what mike just one second before we hit 1976 i wanted to just uh, run real quick uh with back to 1966 for just a moment cost of a new home twenty three thousand three hundred dollars Cost of a new car, $3,500. Cost of a first-class postage stamp, a nickel. Cost of a gallon of regular gas, $0.32. Cents. So the prices were going up a little bit from 40 Still are up. What did so. you say the price of a house was? House price was? 20, what? 23300 yeah, I'm trying to remember what I used to see billboards yeah. for Mira Mesa. Mira Mesa oh. was brand new in the mid early mid sixties. Yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking the price I saw on the billboard was twenty twenty three thousand. Pretty close then. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? For yeah. a new house in Mira Mesa, for which was house. completely vacant at the time. Yeah. There was nothing along Miramar Road. Those, were brand, those totally. were brand new homes too, aren't they? They were. Yeah, they were not even lived brand in. New area. Oh yeah, that yeah. was for brand new. Those were subdivisions. I remember. In, in, I remember living in Fallbrook. Here, you go down three ninety five. Mira Mesa was a stop sign. You had Poway <laughs> that way, and then you go about four miles, and next thing Mira Mesa and the arrow on the stop sign would port would point to the right instead of the left for yeah. Poway. And then a couple miles you know beyond that, Camp Elliott, you would make your turn yeah. down Murphy Canyon yeah. to go to what was going to be. Uh, San Diego Stadium in 1968, or you continue on down old 395 into Balboa Park. Right into Balboa, yeah. 163, and go right there, and uh, go downtown. There was Horton Plaza, I think, was, no, it wasn't even there. I don't that believe. wasn't built until the 70s. There was one mall in Mission Valley. That's yeah. where we'd go. Mission make Valley Center was the yeah. first mall in 1960. Then came Fashion Valley, where they tore, in, tore down... Um, Westgate Park. Yeah. You know, the, the Padres, the Pacific Coast Lease Padres used to play in... Um, at the pier. At Lane at Field Lane, yeah. downtown. Then they moved to Mission Valley, where Fashion Valley is right now, to Westgate Park, which was a beautiful little minor league park. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think the, up in Lake Elsinore, the, the Diamond's a nice place? In its time, Westgate Park was a really cool place. Then they built uh, San Diego Stadium in 1968 down at the foot of Murphy Canyon. We're talking Road. 76, Smitty, and gee whiz, you know, it's a you go back, back and forth between 66 and 76? We don't even talk about 56, but you're talking about brand new homes for the cost of 
And by uh, 76, of a, of a new car. The new home had doubled, yeah. at least. Uh, yeah, and I've got some prices here for 76. But uh, 1976 was a very historic uh, year. There were a lot of events that happened that year. The Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics. It was an election year. We had the political conventions. We had uh, an event that I, uh, in particular, uh, remember, and that was NBC's 50th anniversary. Now, that might not sound like much to you people, but uh, to a kid that's interested in radio and TV history, that was a big event. And of course, the biggest event of 1976 was the American Bicentennial. Sunday, July 4th, 1976, the 200th anniversary of the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. Now, initially, the Bicentennial celebration was planned as a single-city exposition to be titled Expo 76. That would be staged in either Philadelphia or Boston. But after years of tumultuous debate, debate, and it was years of tumultuous debate, it was even in Congress. It was recommended there should not be a single event. There should be uh, many local events. And the creation of the American Revolution Bicentennial Administration, or ARBA, was charged with uh, encouraging that. You know, a wave of patriotism and nostalgia swept over the nation. There was a general feeling that the irate era of the Vietnam War and the Watergate crisis of 1974 had finally come to an end. Uh, the Bicentennial was celebrated, of course, after the humiliating withdrawal from uh, Vietnam. And the administration of uh, President Gerald Ford stressed the themes of renewal and rebirth based on a restoration of traditional values, giving a nostalgic and exclusive reading of the pa- American past. You guys, what do you, John and Mike, do you guys have a particular memory of what you were doing on uh, Sunday, July 4th, 1976? Was there anything special? Was it just another another day for you, or uh, any memories about that? Honestly, I don't remember anything specifically. I know I was really involved in my first year in, in uh, radio in San Diego, but and, and for that reason, you know, we were involved in various things. I do remember the Beach Boys concert at the Washington Monument that year, that, uh, that July 4th, yeah. and the wonderful fireworks displays, at least what what we could see on limited definition television at the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I know there was a, as you said, a wave of patriotism that year. And one of the things being in radio at the time at uh, KFMB, they kind of missed the boat is they should have modified their, we always had our station color was always kind of pretty much a blue. As here at Res Radio, right. our basic color is, is yellow. Yeah. But uh, KFMB was blue. I, I always thought they should have modified their logo just for the occasion to red, white, and blue. That would have been great. But, yeah, that's that's really what limited memories I have of it. But I know it was just a, a proud time for Americans. It was a different era. Uh, <clears throat> kind of, I kind of liken it, John, to uh, the era of Apollo 11, uh, that same type of... Uh, national uh, patriotism and uplifting uh, view uh, of the future and uh, the past that we had gone through. Uh, I was just a kid then. I was 13 years old in 1976, so I remember being home, but there's a lot of programs on television that commemorated that that, that, that Sunday. There was pretty much all the networks had uh, specials that they were doing remotes from different parts of the, of the country and uh, talking about uh, the history, the 200th anniversary of the uh, of the nation, the, the uh, signing, the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. And really, what a, what a proud time it should be, because yeah. how many governments survived 200 years? Exactly. And I think the other thing that comes to mind, too, that was a once-in-a-lifetime event to have lived through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I was probably would have been maybe a little bit older. To, uh, even as a kid, though, I, I had a sense of appreciation for history, and I knew it was something special. But I think had I been maybe another five years older, perhaps, something like that, 
five, six years older, would have meant a whole, a whole lot more. But I recall, I, I recall, this is the bicentennial, and this is something that's not... Yeah, but you'd have been 18. You'd have been even more wrapped up in yourself. Yeah, probably. Yeah, maybe so, huh? Maybe so. But uh, in any event... Uh, the Bicentennial was certainly, Mike, we were just talking about, do you remember any, what were you doing on uh, Sunday, July 4th, 1976? Do you remember anything uh, in particular? I was a diehard Beach Boys fan, so I guess I was watching TV. <laughs> watching TV on that big... Well, you were that diehard, you should have been in Washington, D.C. I, I, if I could have, I, if I would have been able to get there, but I remember watching it in that big, gorgeous 28-inch screen. Ooh. <laughs> it was, uh, there was no high def, and it was live and hazy, and the picture, the colors bled over, but just watching those guys. And later on, they Nancy Reagan referred to them, what, five years when uh, Reagan became president, he referred to the Beach Boys as America's, America's band. That's right. But I remember That's that. Right. I remember the Beach Boys, and they had the stripes on, the, their typical Beach Boys attire in 76, and played all the oldies. That's right. And uh, I thought that was great. And Southern California, everybody, you know, you had a picnic and went somewhere and watched fireworks after. Yeah, fireworks. Of course, the big thing, the fireworks. But that was a whole year of celebration. There was things going on all the time. They never actually gave, they never gave the Bicentennial authority until about July 4th. And at July 5th, it wrecked loose because there was a national election that year. Everything, There was a lot yeah. going on. A busy year. You'll talk about all the other stuff. It was the birth of disco. Oh, that had a lot yeah, to do with let's, America's let's, freedom. Yes. You know, right here in San Diego or in Southern California, there is still a remnant of the Bicentennial. It's up off the 91 freeway in Corona. And uh, if you've ever driven eastbound uh, coming out of Anaheim Hills into Corona, look off to the left there in the spillway for Prado Dam was painted up for the bicentennial it, and the spillway, over the years yeah. yeah over the a huge gigantic I mean, we're talking hundreds of feet long is that corona mural, expressway now mural to the uh yeah yeah it's right where the 71 yeah, and 91 meet. Was, yeah, that's right it was painted and it said spirit of 76 didn't uh-huh. it yeah ah, still okay, does still more there. or less it's been damaged quite a bit by vandalism over the years and you know it's kind of faded away as well and there's a huge controversy right now over restoring it to the way it was um, 40 years ago in 1976 when it was first painted and you know like who's going to do it and the lead paint that was used and, right. and all yeah, those yeah. things but sure. uh, yeah it's sitting there still kind of deteriorating from its original painting 40 years ago but that is a remnant here in Southern California of the Bicentennial. That's amazing and I imagine there's other uh, other things like that around the country that still survive to a certain extent murals and paintings and things like that that perhaps uh, that perhaps uh, are, are uh, are still around, but uh, Mike mentioned the uh, beginning of the disco era. Is that an era that you choose not to remember uh, very well, John, or is that something that uh, that you have any recollections of? <laughs> I remember it, um, not fondly. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I didn't. I certainly didn't succumb to the fashion of the time, and I was certainly much more into rock and roll. And very, I remember being extremely distressed and dismayed when uh, some of my favorite rock and roll people uh, ended up doing disco songs, or at least disco-tinged songs. Yeah. You know, Rod Stewart went totally disco. And yeah. the Bee Gees, who I actually really very much liked, I loved their harmonies and loved their early work, and even all the way up to Nights on Broadway, um, Saturday Night Fever didn't do it for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was the beginning of a whole new genre, and some of the uh, some of the disco songs that were featured during that year were "Love Roller Coaster" by the Ohio Players, "Shake Shake 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 Your Booty" 
by Casey and the Sunshine Band. Now, i got to admit I make an exception for him because he, okay. to me, is kind of a throwback to the big band era. Okay. He, he really, what his instrumentation Who and was the his whole... Casey, Casey, Casey oh, and the okay. Sunshine Band. The whole, nice to have you back, Mike. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I've been throwing beach balls out in yes, the crowd. Yes, Mike's been... <laughs> but yeah, to me, he reminds me, actually, of the 40s, uh, you know, with his, his, his concept of a big band. Right. Yeah. But just brought into a modern musical uh, arena. Well, the whole disco experience, the disco ball and the dance hall, we were talking with Nancy the other night. We, there were really, the era of the dance hall and the ballroom dancing had left right after World War II, and people of course went to their television sets for the next 30 years but here comes 1976 now everybody's decked out in these big wide lapel leisure suits and the women have these flower these t- in its I, way it really was a throwback everybody yeah, yeah all the women look like the the front the front girls for a uh, chic uh, with the big with the big daisies in their hair and tell me mike do you still have your platform shoes and, and your, your leisure suit uh, yes your angel's flight leisure suit i, I loaned the, the ones with the high heels with the goldfish in them i loaned them to john fox <laughs> and i'd like to have them back or at least feed the goldfish if you will but yes, I do. I have yes, they have potato do. potato toes. They were big uh. bump boots. <laughs> and then I went living in L.A. I, of course, I got my threads at Zeidler and Zeidler. Oh, okay. and the big old floppy hats. Let's talk about Ohio players. And your and your and your gold chain. Yeah, I had, <laughs> I had my KC going on up in there. Disco Mike, as they but called them back in those t- days. You talked about the ones that gave <laughs> that gave a lame attempt. The pop groups, the rock groups that gave a very lame attempt at trying to pull it off with disco. I always think of. Uh, Dr. Hook with the one sexy eyes. That one is you have Dr. Hook in the medicine show, and all of a sudden you got this disco thing. It just killed yeah. me that ELO did shine a little light. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jefferson Airplane me. gave it a shot too. I forgot the song, but they all tried to cross over because there was so much money in it. And to my knowledge, even to this day, the Bee Gees were the only one that could substantially pull it off. Yeah, and so of course there were other pop hits that were non-disco hits. I write the songs by Mary Barry Manilow. Silly love songs by Paul McCartney and Wings. Welcome back, the theme music to Welcome Back, Cotter by John Sebastian. If You Leave Me Now, Chicago, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, Elton John and Kiki D, and, and Convoy, C.W. McCall. That was another big thing was the CB craze was, was yeah, in full swing. Yeah, 76 was just about when that was starting to fade out. It really kind of began in 73, 74. Did it okay? I remember, I guess I came in late on it because I thought it was the, the, the wonderful thing to be able to go on the radio, even though it wasn't a radio station, but you had your own little transmitter. <laughs> and so and see, kind of cool hams, uh, you know, they've known that for years. The, sure. The, uh, through ham radio, you can get yourself on the radio and have that thrill of talking on the air, you know? Absolutely. And that was kind of a thing uh, for uh, the, the CB craze. Real quickly, you just want to mention a few things. Did you ever get a CB license? No, I never did. KFC 8805. Ah, okay. Not never did. I still have my license. How about that? I never did. I used to just kind of bootleg it. I think the statute of limitations is over. And, of course, nobody needs it anymore. That nobody needs it anymore. Deregulated. Just real quickly, a new home, $43,400 in 1976. Gallon of gas, $0.59 cents a gallon. Uh, new Plymouth Arrow, $3,175. And a microwave oven would set you back $169. That's all? That's all. I remember my mom's first one was like 400 bucks. Oh, my gosh. The, wow, Aman- I think the original were... Amana? Yeah, the yeah. Amana Radar Range. Uh-huh. Which are very collectible now, by the way. They'll have to do that on another show, Mike. The radar range? The radar ranges are very collectible. Is that around the time the microwave ovens came out in the mid-70s? Yeah. That was amazing when you could heat your coffee up and you'd spend 300 bucks for this thing. Amazing. Yeah, to have the thing that would heat, heat everything up in a few minutes. Well, it's an appliance like a refrigerator that's lasted over these years of technology. Has. You're the tech guy of the show. Yeah. We'll do a piece on... Uh, 
collecting uh, microwave ovens one of these days. We're almost at the end of our show, aren't we, Mike? Yeah, we are. I don't know. Brian Wilson didn't show up, but Floyd showed up. Well, Floyd. Floyd! Yeah, Floyd, yeah. Floyd! <laughs> Andy. Floyd. Floyd is not here. We wrap up. We had some good people. We had, and don't forget, folks, when you come down here, or if you are down here at the San Diego County Fair today or tomorrow or all the way up until Monday, the last day, July 4th, make sure you stop and see Carmel over at our neighbors, the Australian Battered Potato Shack. That's right. Because she's, she's kept us fed and kept us smiling and happy, and she's just a wonderful lady. And, and welcome her back to San Diego as she uh, moves along the the county fair, the state fair path, and path, uh, exactly it's been a circuit. blast. The weather's been fantastic. The weather's been fantastic. Thank you, John, for bringing the good weather. Yes, and yeah, we thank no we thank John Fox and Res Radio for hosting us again. We're uh, very thankful to be here, and we thank Carmel for the Australian battered potatoes, and we thank uh, you for listening. And we remember we want want to hear from you. Our email address is galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail dot com. Galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail dot com. Our website galaxymoonbeamnightside.com. Our programs are all available on Facebook. On I'm sorry, not Facebook, on uh, iTunes and on Mixcloud. And we, of course, we do have our page on Facebook. You can get them through Facebook. You, you can, get our right, Facebook you can. page. You can find that's them. That's right. You can get them. Mike here is ahead of me, and he's managed to make all that work. And good work, buddy. You can get them at your okay. neighborhood 7-Eleven, can't you? Well, yeah. For a limited time in the only. Dollar ninety nine DVD yeah. bin. Yeah. <laughs> You're right next to the free San Diego readers every Thursday. That's, That's right. <laughs> well, we do enjoy being here at the show, and especially our our good buddy John Fox. We'll be seeing you and talking to you again on Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight today as a as a guest of Res Radio. And keep coming back. We've got more stuff. Baby Boomers will never run out of memories because if we do, we'll make some up. That's right. And, Take care. And I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm John. And And we'll catch you next time, folks. Thanks for being with us. I'll be alone each and every night. While you're away, don't forget to write.
This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.